You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Just to say quickly uh, from the elders, we'd love to just thank you again so much for giving. It's incredible to be uh, able to say that three or four hundred people have given £390,000 over the last few years. That is amazing. And uh, we, we're so grateful. God is good. Uh, my wife and, and I, we, we stretched ourselves and gave quite sacrificially this week. And do you know what? Within a week, we had give that money given back to us. Within one week. Six pounds over, in fact. So, <laughs> profit there. So, um, we're going to look into uh, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 7. Also, just to say that if you, I'm aware that we haven't talked about life groups for a while. If you're a part of this church or you're visiting, you'd like to get involved midweek. We do have midweek groups. And if you're not part of those and you'd like to be, it's still possible to join one. You don't have to wait till next term. I'm going to pray and then we'll jump straight into it. Father, we thank you for your presence with us by your spirit this morning and always. Thank you that you're faithful to those who follow you. Thank you that you're faithful to yourself. Your promises endure forever. And we stand on them. We stand in them. Thank you for your spirit poured out for us. We pray, come this morning through your word that it would not return to you fruitless. We thank you that's a promise of you, your word, Lord. So we pray, be with us this morning. Tell us what we need to hear. Help us practically, Lord, so that we can live this life you called us to live and help others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 7 is a tough chapter. Tough chapter to understand. A tough one to teach, and uh, an extremely countercultural chapter, which I'm pleased with because our culture is not one that I feel confident in. I'm pleased that we have a Bible that is counterculture because our culture is messy. The Bible is steadfast and true. So we stand in the truth. And uh, I think Tom's been a little bit cheeky in giving me this, this chapter <laughs> and running. It's like he's, uh, he's kind of thrown me a live grenade and just said, I'm off for the morning. So, um, so, so Tom's not with us, but I, I'm, I'm confident that God is going to help us with this. Uh, Paul talks about the realities of what it means to follow Jesus either in marriage or in singleness through this chapter. And he goes into many, many details and specific situations. And I don't want to avoid going into some of the complexities of the chapter, but we won't have the opportunity to go in every detail today. Uh, there's just so much. And also, the applications are so numerous in the chapter that they become applicable to uh, specific groups. So not, not to us as a whole all the time, but really specific situations. So um, it, it, we're going to touch on more of the heart of what's coming through rather than the specifics today. But if there are details from this chapter as you read it, and I would encourage you to do that, if there are specifics that come out to you and that you need help with walking them out, or understanding them, particularly if they're a situation that you're in right now, or it really has impacted your past, then please do speak with the elders or one of the elders. We would love to serve you however we can in applying the Bible. It's one of the roles we've been given, actually. We'd love to recommend uh, good commentaries to you if you'd, like, if you'd prefer to start there. We're happy to do that. Please don't uh, suffer or struggle alone if you are struggling with these concepts in chapter 7. The so I'm going to welcome five people up in just a little while. But first, there are a few things. It would be a shame to come to chapter 7 and then, and then kind of jump over it. We do want to serve you as best we can and touch on each chapter we're actually supposed to be teaching through. Paul talks candidly about divorce, marriage, sex, singleness, widows. 
and the very real difficulties of being married to a non-believer when you become a believer, and the difficulties of getting into a relationship with a non-believer when you're a believer. The applications, as I said, are varied, and the situations are varied. The content is therefore appropriate for specific groups, but the heart of what he teaches is applicable for all. What we have in the New Testament is not rules. It's not rules. You might hear of, uh, if you're not a Christian, you might think of Christianity as a a set of rules that we have to adhere to. That God is, as we heard uh, just now, you might think of God as as a God who's ready to to, to strike you or ready to be frustrated as a parent who wants to tell off children because they don't keep the rules. But what we learn in the New Testament is that Christianity is not a set of rules, but it is a teaching of the outworkings of new life. The outworkings of new life. My son, uh, for Christmas, got a butterfly kit. uh, And we had to send away in the summer for butterflies. He got this little net. We had to send away for these little um, caterpillars. And they looked fairly ugly, one-dimensional, just little black. They looked almost like maggots, really, when they arrived. With a little pot of food. And within a week or so, they were huge. And then they, they, they formed into a beautiful chrysalis. And then days later, when it was warm enough, out they came. And I was surprised to find that it took a few days for the color to really come to their wings. They were quite pale to start with. And then the color came, and of course, they could fly. And when Paul is talking to Christians in the Bible, which is what he does uh, through his letters, he is reminding them, you are a new creation. The whole point of this is that you mustn't still behave as if you're a creepy, crawly caterpillar. You must remind yourselves and understand that you're a new creation and if you were to say to a, uh, a caterpillar, um, stop, uh, say to a butterfly, stop crawling around, stop creeping around, that would be an appropriate thing to say, wouldn't it? You've got wings. You're beautiful. Fly. You're new. And so what Paul is doing is not saying stop that, stop that, but saying, don't you realize what's happened? Come on. Spread your wings. You're beautiful. That's what the picture is that we get through the New Testament, is that Christ Jesus was born and came as God in the flesh. He taught and showed that I am the Son of God. And as the Son of God, he brought light into the darkness of sinful and fallen creation. And ultimately presented the way to peace with God. The only way. Jesus said, I am the way. There's no way for you apart from me. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, through me. And how did he do this? He did it by being a substitute saviour. Living the life God intended people to live. Sinless life. Jesus lived it on our behalf. In his death, he paid the penalty and punishment for sin to rescue and ransom sinful people. Why are we not the naughty boy in the corner on the chair? Because Jesus came and sat in the corner on the chair. And was judged in our place. It's not just that God is a fluffy, nice God. He says, oh, go on, I'll let you off. No, someone had to be punished. And Jesus sat in the corner for us. And we stand to new life in Jesus. He paid a penalty so that we could be ransomed. And he did it on our behalf. And three days later, he rose again. And we need to remember this. We hear stories of people rising from death sometimes. Even a friend of mine who's in this church was clinically dead for minutes after a nasty accident, and then rose again when a defibrillator 
and operation and mouth to mouth, those sorts of things come in and poof, oh, back to life. But Jesus wasn't like that. We must understand this. Jesus didn't come to life because of outside source. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I can lay it down and I can pick it back up again. Of his own will, Jesus was able to say, I will die. But also, of his own will, I will start to breathe again. I will start to walk again. I will teach. I will love. And he came and did what no one else in history has ever been able to do, taking up his life again of his own accord. He started breathing and moving and teaching and loving people. And in doing so, he proved, I've defeated sin. I've dealt with what you could not deal with. I've dealt with it. I've paid for it. It's done. And all of the effects of it are ultimately dealt with. I've defeated death itself on your behalf. This is the backdrop of the New Testament. This is everything that Paul is trying to help people to walk out and walk in. Jesus then ascended to heaven so that he could send a helper. As we know, Jesus said, it's better that I go. Imagine that. It's better that, better that Jesus, the Son of God, would leave the earth. How could that be better? Because I'm going to send another one so that Jesus can be all in all believers. Jesus can be in all of you by his Spirit to dwell in us, to empower us and to guide us and to reveal the truth, to be Jesus with every believer. So Jesus Christ came to bring life where there was death, power where there was weakness, Truth, where there was deception, a way to the feast, a way to the Father, where there was none. And then the rest of the New Testament shows the impact. As we look at the book of Acts, what impact did this have? Well, it completely changed everybody. Everyone who was a believer, it completely changed them. They started to walk in the power of the Spirit, of this new life. And this Spirit of God come to them. They could, they could cast out demons that they could see people healed, that they could bring other people into following Christ and finding their life completely turned around. It didn't just change the mission, it changed their hearts. That people who used to be bickering and fighting and selfish and totally self-absorbed turned their affections outwards and realized it's not about me. People were completely changed. We see in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament is, is Paul's letters and other people's letters, under, helping people to understand this is what it means. This is what the gospel means. It, this is how we walk it out. It points also, and finally, to a second coming of Christ. When Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. When he will come for his rescued people. And this too completely changes the believer's life. To know my past is completely changed in Christ. That I died with him when he died. That my sin was dealt with in him. That my wrongdoings completely done. That the, 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 the debt that I'd accrued is paid completely. That's my past as it is Christ's past. That is my past as well. But now we also know this is my future. As Christ said, he's coming again. And he's going to deal with everything. And everything will be put the way it should be. And he'll come back for his chosen people. And they will be like him. That's my future. So I know, I know my past. That's solid. And I know my future. That's solid. As we sang, my anchor holds beneath the veil. My, hang, my anchor is Jesus. He's holding what's, what is one for me. And all of the future and the past impacts my right now. That's what the gospel is saying throughout the New Testament. All of the past and the future in Christ changes everything now. It affects how we live. 
So Paul, when he talks to us in ways of what we should do, what we shouldn't do, they are not rules. They are outworkings. You are not a caterpillar anymore. You are a new creation if you're in Christ Jesus. So we come to chapter 7, and we must come to it with that context to understand this is what it's all about. Otherwise, we come thinking, I'm supposed to do this, not allowed to do this. supposed to." No, it's more about who are you? Who are you? And one of, uh, before, we, before we invite our, our guests up, just want to pick out a few of the, the heart messages that Paul brings across in this, in this chapter. He's teaching on, on marriage and singleness and sex and all, that, all there within. And he says, among other things, he says, Christians, as they stand in their new life, his desire is that marriage be held up as a sacred and holy commitment. As we tried to talk about last week, marriage is a commitment to another. It reflects Christ and the church. It's not something to drop easily. It's not something to drop easily for selfish gain. It's not something to drop easily, even if it seems very difficult. Even if there are things that seem very broken. We had a lovely word in the first service this morning where someone was saying, we often discard these days things that are broken. We say, oh, I'll just buy another one, I'll get a new one. But we don't have a God like that. He doesn't discard the broken. He fixes the broken. And so we really believe that actually in marriage, God ordained marriage. God put marriage together that we don't just discard it. We work and we fight at it. And we trust God to be a redeemer, to be one that will work through it. Paul also um, always wants the Christian to take the way of faith and expectation before the situation is given up. He always expects Christians, if you're Christians, if you're following Christ, expect him to follow through on his promises. Don't just think, well, I'm on my own in this. This is so difficult. I've done as much as I can. No, work in faith, expecting God to deliver as he has promised. That is what Paul is trying to say. If you're a Christian, expect God. Have faith that God will be who he said he will be before giving up. Trusting God is difficult, but he is completely trustworthy. And we need to bank on that as Christians. We need to put something in that, some weight in that, some actual activity in that, some expectations in that. He is trustworthy, even when it's difficult. As we said last week, we don't become Christians by asking God to hop into our pockets and join our mission. Our mission of self-gratification and glorification. No, actually, when we become a Christian, we die with Christ. And we raise to new life into God's mission, delighting in the fact that that is where life in abundance is found. As Mark was just praying, that's when we find life. Jesus said, if you want life, you'll have to lose it. If you, those who t- hold on tightly to life, those who think this is where I'll find life, no, you've lost it. But if you're willing to come to Christ and say, I'll give my life, that's where you find life. And so we find Jesus saying, uh, this is where life in abundance is found when you trust me. When you die to yourself and trust me. So Paul is under no illusions that we can add Jesus to our lives and carry on as we were. And this comes right into these, these topics. As a Christian, we have new standards, new loyalties, new priorities and desires, a new creation. That's why he has so much to say about a believer being in a relationship with a non-believer. Someone who is following Christ, paired up with someone who doesn't, will have very real difficulties. Two people following two different things. The Bible uses the the phrase unevenly yoked. 
like two oxen who have the, the yoke over their shoulders. And if one is pulling one way, one is pulling the other way, that's going to be very difficult. It's going to cause friction, heartache. It's going to be very tough. It's a very helpful quote in here from David Pryor in this, this uh, uh, commentary. It says this, Paul then tackles a problem which must have been very common in Corinth. A newly converted Christian married to an unbeliever. It's always common where the gospel is being proclaimed with power. As one partner is converted, this leads to immense and at times intolerable strain being placed on both. The Christian partner has now discovered a totally new way of life. Not just asking God to come into your pocket. A totally new way of life. And is committed to new standards, new loyalties, new priorities, new desires. He or she is a new creation. The necessary adjustments are immense. There will be many false starts, much inconsistency, great misunderstanding. At times, the new Christian will feel torn in two. Equally, the unbeliever will hardly know what has hit him. And it seems, statistically at least, to be the husband who finds himself living with some new kind of holy woman. The devastating impact of such an event, not least in what can genuinely be called a very good marriage, cannot be overestimated. A Cape Town brain surgeon put it most movingly. When asked what he found so difficult about his wife's newfound faith in Christ, he stressed two things. First, she was no longer the person with whom he had originally fallen in love and, in, and with whom he had decided to marry. Suddenly, secondly, there was another man about the house to whom she was all the time referring her every decision and whom she chose to consult for his advice and instructions. He was no longer the boss in his own house. Jesus gave the orders and set the pace. Paul is not kidding himself about the difficulties of being unevenly yoked. And the heart is because when you become a Christian, you are not your own anymore. You're his. And if you're yoked to somebody who is still their own, it's going to be very difficult when you're pulling in different directions. As we read in verse 35 of chapter 7, it's all about uh, one of the main difficulties or main priorities for Paul is to secure Christians' undivided devotion to the Lord. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's desire and God's desire for his glory and our joy is that we give him undivided devotion. So Paul is candid and factual about what will divide our devotion to Jesus, and so should we be. Then Jesus, sorry, when Jesus called men to follow him, he called them to drop their nets to drop their vocations, to, to drop their loyalties to other things. He even said to one disciple they could trust him enough, they needn't go back to bury their father who had just recently died. He said, I will follow you, but just let me do this. Jesus said, look, you can trust me. Let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. So Jesus is saying, look, I don't want just divided loyalties. I want the whole of you. You can trust me with that. Another thing is that Paul is very positive about singleness, which is what we're going to hear about now. The thing is, he's clear about the reality of pain that Christians were facing in that time. Brutal persecution, being killed because of their choice to follow and be loyal to Jesus. He wants Christians to be clear about the reality of bringing family into that situation. He's acutely aware of the battle and the cost and knows the freedom that being single will bring to that reality. So he sees it as a very positive thing. He says, I wish that all people were like myself. He was single. 
But the reality is he may not have always been single. He was a devout Jew, and the position he held it usually required that the man be married. So it may well be that he was married, and when he became a Christian, his wife may have divorced him. That may have been what he went through himself. So he knows the effects of this. But he's saying that there's a lot of positives to being single, a lot of blessings to being single. And also, it's very hard to bring in family to such battle, such difficulty. The Christian life is tough. And if you imagine those movies where we see, uh, you know, like beginning of Saving Private Ryan, where they come into battle, they come off the boats and the gun firing everywhere and everyone's shouting, screaming and hiding and shooting. That's very scary. Now imagine that with your spouse 200 yards down there and two of your kids down here. He's saying, look, you're going into battle. It's not a bad thing to not have to worry about that sort of stuff. But to realize, no, I don't have to be responsible for that. So he's positive about singleness. He's also positive about marriage and families. But he doesn't have it either or. He says, look, there's a way to be positive about these things. We may not live in a country ourselves where Christians are killed for their faith. But some people do live in countries right now where people are killed for their faith. We do live in a country where people are trying to kill the reputation of Christians. And trying to kill the reputation of Christianity. We are under great attack, and we can't fool ourselves about that. We bring family and other things into that. I know even my parents went through things when they were before they got married. My dad, um, he felt God was calling him to full-time ministry, and he felt it was going to be in such a way that he would say, he, he, he recognized the point where he thought, if I'm going to be a missionary in this way, it will probably mean I can't provide for a family, so I'll probably never get married. And that was the thing he had to go through, and he realized, I'm okay to do that. Now, by God's grace, he was able to have a, have a marriage and go that way. But he was willing to say, I'll lay that down. I remember my, my mum as well has a story. She thought she was going to be a missionary in another country. And maybe a small sacrifice. But for a year, she slept without a pillow. Because she thought, I might go to a country where it's going to be very uncomfortable. So I'm going to get used to this. And I love the fact that she just counted the cost. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to go about it the right way. Because I mean this. I'm all in. Some people live in countries where they will be killed for their faith. Jesus said he sends out his disciples to be sheep among wolves. Just think about that. Sheep among wolves. What happens to sheep if they're sent out among wolves? It doesn't last long for them. We should have this perspective that my life might not be long. If I'm really going to follow Jesus, really cut out everything else, I've got to be willing to go with that and trust him with whatever comes at me. Lastly, Paul wants us to live as though Christ's return is imminent. Because it is. No one knows the time or day. We don't know it could be today. Christ's return is promised and it will be soon. We must have an eternal perspective. We don't fight for material things because of that that eternal, not maternal, that eternal perspective that we we know. I'm living for eternity. I'm living for him. This life comes and goes. I'm living for something much greater. I don't want to hold on to material things. I I want to fight for heavenly things. I want to fight for sacred things. I want to fight for eternal things. So those are some of the heart things which Paul talks about in chapter 7. I'd love to welcome uh, five guests up here. Rod, Karen, Jan, Luke and Jade. Um, let's just hear from them to introduce yourselves. You want to pass it down that way? Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Rod. Uh, I've been in the church now three years or so. Um, I work part-time for the church in um, the area of welcome integrating people into the church family. 
As I said earlier, if you don't feel welcome, please see me afterwards, and I'll either give you a high five, a handshake, or a hug, depending on what was comfortable for you. <laughs> um, I have been married. I was married for 20 years. Um, during the latter part of that marriage, things were difficult, and um, 14 years ago, uh, we were divorced, and I've been a single man uh, for the last 14 years. Hi, my name's Luke, and I've been at the church probably just about a year, a year and a half in total, um, doing an internship with CYM, and I'm single, and I've never been married. Um, I'm Jan. Um, I've been um, part of this church for eight or nine years now. Um, I have been married, um, and in two thousand, in the year two thousand, uh, after a twenty-five year marriage, I was divorced um, and spent ten years um, as a single person, um, and then God led me and brought into my life my lovely Phil um, who eight months after we met was diagnosed unfortunately with um, terminal bowel cancer and um, uh, we were very much part of this church here and uh, but in 2013 the Lord took him home and uh, to be with him and so I've now spent the rest, the, the, the last five years, again, as a single person. I'm Karen, and I've been a part of this church for 26 years. Quite a long time and quite frightening. And uh, um, most of that time I've been away, because um, I became a Christian when I was 19, and very soon afterwards felt the call of God to go and serve him in China. I've never really decided uh, not to be married, but um, in being called to China, I realized that my chances of being married were going to be very limited. And God had done a lot for me, done everything for me, and I, I felt that that was a choice that I was willing to make for mm. him. Um, and then later in China, um, he called me to adopt my girls. Um, and again, that's... Uh, adds another limitation really to, mm. to marriage. So it's never really been a decision that I've made in itself to be single and not to be married. But um, So you're a mother of how many? I'm a mother of six. Mm. Yeah, my, yeah, I am single and... Hi, I'm Jade. Um, I've been at Hope for five years. And um, yeah, God brought me to Ipswich about the same time, uh, five years ago. Uh, from the States, as you can probably tell by my accent. And, um, yeah, I'm single, never been married. Mm. So just as, so we know, there are many single people in this church, many beautiful single people. These are five beautiful, godly people we can learn a lot from. So I'm going to ask them a few questions. Um, first one I have is that Paul refers to singleness and marriage as a gift. How and where have you seen singleness to be a gift? When I thought about... Um, uh, singleness as a gift I had to really dig deep I think and think about that um, uh, a, a little bit um, we know that God gives good gifts mm. gifts to us and he gives gifts that are for our good mm. um, and so I do believe and trust that um, that God has given me 
singleness at this time for as 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 a gift mm. for my own good and for his purpose mm. um and it's a and it's a gift that we have to receive um we have to uh, i've had to come to that point um certainly during my during my after, after my divorce years um mm. to become content in him that he was my all in all um and and not being uh, wishing that you know everything will be all right when this happens and everything will be all right when that happens um no actually it's it's here and now that god wants um to give me that contentment lovely thank you i'd i'd never really thought of singleness being a gift before being made to think of it for this morning <laughs> But life is a gift, and the adventure in God is thinking back, you know, yeah, singleness has been a gift. You know, it's a gift because I've been led into places where my inclination would have been, oh, you do it if I've been married. Mm. <laughs> this is for you to think about. This is beyond wow. me. Yeah. But, you know, and and I've had to look to God and say, this is beyond me, I need you, you know, in a way that I wouldn't have done if I'd been married. Wow. You know, and I've seen God working through that, and that, that has been a gift yeah. that I Fantastic. wouldn't relinquish easily. Yeah, yeah I've um, just really, it was somewhat necessary to be single, um, to have that time where the Lord could, you know, fashion and shape and uh, make sure my affections are towards him and not to other things, and being able to um, uh, set apart him as Lord in my heart above all other things uh, mm. has really helped. Mm. And to, um, as David mentioned in the Psalms, the one thing that he desired was to see the beauty of the Lord, and mm. that would be a, a pursuit of someone single, to, to see that beauty, so that if I have that beauty in place, that I want to pursue that above all other things, then if marriage was to come, and, then but I know that actually in marriage in itself is not going to be the beauty that's going to, fulfill me but only the beauty of the lord and knowing christ is going to be the one thing that will do it fantastic that's that undivided devotion paul was talking about question two what have been some of the difficult things about being single and what have you done about those things Uh, loneliness is uh, something that is um, is difficult for for single people and uh, it was never my plan to be single um, it was never my hope and desire that, um, that this is the way my my life's journey would would happen. And, and I shared with some people earlier that you know even though I've got lots of friends here, there are times when I go to the uh, car park and open the car and put the key in the lock, and then I just feel really lonely. Just mm. really, you know, I, I don't have anybody to go home to to share with and just share that those. The, the emotions that that or the things that I've been learning, just the fun things as well as the hard things in my life. So, so loneliness is a is a is a difficulty that that uh, we all um, struggle to come to terms with, perhaps. But uh, the good thing is, on the positive side, you know, I have a, have a wonderful family in in the church here. I have lots of good friends. I have people that I, I can go to and chat to. Um, it's not quite like having a wife, but you know, God is, is gracious in that way. Mm. Thank you, thank you. Any others on that one particularly? Yeah, um, similar to Rod, isolation, you can get a bit fearful. Mm. Um, you know, when God made Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone, I'll make a helper suitable for him. 
but Adam had God with him, so mm. he wasn't alone. But there must be a place where actually we need people around us. Mm. And at times I really felt uh, like the, uh, the oppressiveness, just the, the fear, the, just the weight, a cloud coming over you, like a cloud of darkness. Like, ah, this is, mm. it's in them times that, you know, you want to draw close to the Lord, go to his word, what has God spoken, what has he said, because his word is the truth and the truth sets us free. So Amen. I have to Amen. go back to that and stand on what he said based on how I rather than what I feel like in the moment. Brilliant. Um, and I think in them times, like, our roots go deeper and deeper in him, so that we'll be able to stand uh, in them times when we feel like, ah, it's not, don't feel too right, Lord, but, you know, you're, you're still the same, so yeah. I have to bank on you, Lord. So, yeah. I'll jump on to the next one. Um, what lies and pressures, it's in, in line, really, I suppose, with the last one, what lies and pressures have you needed to fight? I think one thing that I've had to kind of come to terms with, um, especially in our culture, we kind of were told that marriage and finding our true love is sort of the ultimate goal of our lives. And um, I've had to come to the realisation, actually, Mm. marriage is not God's goal for my life. Mm. Um, And he's got, it might be something that happens along the way, it might not, but he's got a different goal for me and, um, and kind of accepting that. But also in that, learning how to still be okay to desire marriage without seeking after it and mm. making that my focus. I think Brilliant, it's in yeah. this chapter in First Corinthians where um, Paul says something about um, husbands don't, or if you're, if you're unmarried, don't seek a wife. And um, that really challenged me for a while. And I was like, oh gosh, is it really bad that I still mm. want to be married? Am I seeking that? Am I putting that in the wrong place? And um, I think the place I've come to is now I'm seeking God's kingdom mm. first because that's that's the instruction that Jesus gives us is to seek his kingdom first mm. and then he takes care of the rest of it. Brilliant. And um, and if marriage happens to be a part of that, that'll be great. But if not, that'll be great too because I know that that's not, that's not my purpose here. My purpose is to seek his kingdom. So. Wow, brilliant. Thank you. Any others that want to answer the one on lies and pressures that you need to be aware of? I think... Um a lie maybe singles are particularly prone to is that when you're on your own, you are not enough. Mm. That you need a partner to make yourself complete. Mm. But, um, I mean, that, that can be a bit in marriage as well. Mm. Um, you're dependent upon your partner to make yourself complete. But, you know, we are, in, in God, we have everything we need to be complete and whole. Um, you do not need to depend on another person. You know, we are we are God's creation, and in in ourselves, with God, not not just in ourselves, but with with God in partnership with God, you have everything you need for life and joy and happiness and peace. And even in marriage, I think you need to find that place to be able to give into your marriage what what you can. Otherwise, you're depending on the other person and grabbing. Mm from the other person but you know for singles you know mm. we are we are complete and if mm. you're single and if you're looking at um long-term singleness maybe you'll never have a partner in the future you are complete and mm. you are a valuable person Amen. in society you know, and marrieds need you as much as you need marrieds that's right thank you um, karen that's yeah. so helpful yeah. And just on a practical basis, um, uh, I've found that, um, you know, one of the lies is that, you know, well, actually, you know, nobody wants to come, you know, if I want to invite anybody around 
to mm. you know to my home, then actually uh, yeah, they won't want to come because um, there's only me there. <laughs> How boring. Um, uh, you know, couples. Um, you know, you're in the kitchen and you know you're leaving a couple in the. It's just it just doesn't it just it's just yeah it just doesn't work. And actually, that's not true. Mm. It is not true. That's right. And uh, you know, I've I've had lots of um, got over that. And had to really make a big effort to do that, and it is a big effort. Um, but um, you know, to be investing in, in, uh, in a, as a single person, to be investing into families' lives, to um, uh, couples and children, and 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 couples, it's 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 good, and we're part of a family, mm. and mm. Uh, you know, a family is is, is all inclusive. So you know, really would encourage that mm. you know if you are. Um, you know, single, then you know, don't don't buy into that, mm. because um, you know, you, you know, you're loved, and 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 uh, you know, we all have a part to play. Excellent. And for Rod and Jan, because you've been married before, what's God taught you about Himself? Not to each other. Uh, what's God taught you about Himself, His wisdom, and His character as you've gone through the experiences that have ended marriage? Uh, yeah, divorce is not easy. Um, you know, broken relationships are not easy, and um, and I, I, it, it would be good to you know if you're if you're in a, a difficult marriage at the minute or you're in you're struggling, then I would urge you to not to give up the battle. Divorce is not an easy way out. It's a very uh, difficult process, a, a slow recovery. It took me ten years to get over, mm. uh, to some extent, uh, the shame and guilt. Mm and um, self-blame. Uh, and it, it, it wasn't until I came to this church that one or two people showed me that, um, yes, I, I made dreadful mistakes. You know, I hadn't been honoring to God in many ways, but that that God the Father still loved me. Mm. And, and like a father, he just wanted me to turn to him and, and say, I'm sorry. Mm. And then with his grace and love, he would, he would forgive me. Mm. Uh, and I had to come to that point, and that, there was a point when that happened. And I, it was like God was just standing over me, and He just wanted to give me a big hug and wow. say, "You know, that's. I want you to know that I forgive you for these things. I forgive you for, for, for letting Heather down, for, for letting your children down, for, for all the, all the guilt and shame that I felt. Wow. Um, and, and, and God just embraced me and. And I felt a freedom from that. And I've sort of been able to go on from that. So uh, what have I learned about God? I learned that he's a very loving father Amen. who just wants to do nothing more than, than forgive those mm. that have sinned against him and other people. And you just need to, to look to him. Praise God. Fantastic. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I can... Um, relate very much to you know rod's experience and it took a long time to um to get over that um guilt and shame and um you know god had to do a big restoration work in my family um yeah it's it's and it's messy Mm. very messy 
but God is a God of restoration. Mm. You know, he's good and he's faithful and he gives us so much, more than we can ever, 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 ever imagine. Yeah. You know, God gave me a house and God gave me, you know, wonderful fam wonderful friends and, and mm. restored my family, mm. um, which, is, which is just amazing. And he's totally and utterly trustworthy. Brilliant, brilliant. So, um, as we've heard actually already, God says in Genesis 2 that it's not good for us to be alone. We need help and we need community. Um, what do you do to make sure you're getting those things? Yeah, so staying connected into the local church, um, fellowship through the week, not just on a Sunday, but midweek. There's groups going on or prayer meetings, seeing that as a priority to go to, to not to forsake the assembling together because the day is approaching, it's coming. And um, and yeah, just staying connected with, with the church. You know, we're a family, we're members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. He didn't save us to be like individuals. He saves us into something, into a community. And so being with one another, brothers and sisters, dear friends on this journey together, um, is really helpful and important to um, do so. Mm. Yeah, for me, it's about, um, I've learnt, I didn't have really many friends, I had lots of people I knew, but, you know, I lacked in that sort of um, close friendships, and, and I've really tried, and I've had to be proactive in, in making friendships that are vulnerable, on, so that I'm honest with people, I, I want nothing more than to live an authentic, mm. honest life, you mm. know, that's, that's what God has called us to, and... Um, yeah, that's mm, great. I thought what Jade shared in the first service was great. Do you remember? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it's similar to what Rod said about being proactive, but yeah, just being really intentional about um, getting stuck into community um, and not sort of just sitting at home, especially if you live on your own. It's quite easy to sit at home and just think, oh, I'm quite cosy here. Like, I could invite somebody around or I could ask somebody if they want to go out, but I might just sit here. I'm quite comfortable. And then it's quite easy to sort of stew in your own thoughts and descend mm. into loneliness like mm. that. And, um, yeah, so I think it's just really important to be intentional, even when it feels a bit uncomfortable, about um, ha having people over or going to life group or, yeah, just really getting stuck in and... Um, and actually building that community for yourself and not just waiting around hoping that somebody will mm. do it for you. <laughs> Very good, thank you. Just two more questions. First, what's your prayer for your single life? To be honouring to God and just to radiate his life and love through our singleness. There's a lot of single people out there that, Brilliant. that yeah. need Jesus and... Yeah, absolutely, uh, and that God would would show his his purpose in this um, season or, or mm. for you know mm. what, whatever. But um, uh, and what actually that means, you know, looking at you know one Corinthians seven that talks about you know being mm. single and and actually you know being able to devote your life and and you know mm. in mm. a in a different way than than yeah. what actually does that look like? What does yeah. that mean? What does that mean for me? And I just want God to show me and, uh, and lead me into all that he has for me as a single person. Brilliant. Yeah, um, one of the advantages of being 60 years old and married and divorced. Really? And single, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I'm 60, yeah, surprise, is that you have a lot of life experiences. Some of them are great, some of them are not so great. Um, so I suppose my prayer is that I'll, I'll be able to have opportunity to use those experiences to help, help other Brilliant. people. Thank you. Just lastly, um, how can the church family best serve single people? Um, yeah, um, like inviting single people around maybe for a meal or a drink. Mm. Um, again, also, I think, you know, as a single person, you know, when I've been invited around to places, I've really appreciated the fellowship. It's such a blessing. It's really nice to um, be invited out. And um, it's what you what we need at times, you know, need to have mm. that. Um, um, so, yeah, so just be invited around. Um or just to go do, just, just hang out, you know, not just, it's not just a meal, or just going out, or just mm. cinema, but just doing, like, life together, really, and just being included in that way has really, um, been really helpful to do, so. Yeah, also to, um, not be afraid, gentlemen, don't be afraid to talk to single ladies. Mm. And ladies, don't be afraid to talk to single men. Because I think men need women and women need men, whether Mm. you're single or not. Mm. You know, I I do find, you know, Mm. I find with my family, with my girls, they rarely have interaction with a man during the week. Mm. They have a little bit on a Sunday, a little bit of life group walking sometimes, you know. But they need, they need Mm. men around them. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, that's good. Oh, and also, sorry. (laughs) <laughs> also to you know being single isn't a lower form of life mm. it's yeah married and single we're very different and we need each other you know but to and also to recognize single people as as equal value different but equal Amen. um yeah i think as a young single woman i've um have sometimes felt pressured by very well-meaning um, couples in the church um, <laughs> that are enjoying marriage and want me to have the same enjoyment, um, but it can it can sometimes feel like quite intense pressure to find. Oh, we want to find you someone. We want to match you with someone, and um, you kind of think, Oh my gosh, if I ever turned up at church with a guy, what it would be chaos. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so, <laughs> like, yeah, just um, I think what I would say to um trying couples is just to encourage us um yeah. and um i love i love knowing that people care and and want to want to see me happy but um i think as singles we really um to encourage us that life doesn't start like after you get mm. married but actually um like you're in yeah. you're in it now so don't Absolutely. don't be waiting until you're married but mm. just encouraging us to really go for it and go for god um where we're at right now Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, let's thank them, shall we? What fantastically helpful and vulnerable. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, we know that these five are not the only single people in the church, so uh, we want to encourage all single people uh, and, and married people. We are brothers and sisters. We're not in two separate camps, and we want to stand together and worship together and encourage each other. One anothering is not specific to marrieds or singles in the Bible. We want another together. So I'm going to pray for, for the singles, and then we'll pray for these guys as well, and then I'll pass over to Matt. Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness in any circumstance. In every, every different passage of life, you are faithful. We thank you that you're a God of restoration, restoration of hearts that are bruised and broken, 
and you restore. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, you're the God who has plans for us, plans that are greater than we'd ever imagine or ask for. And Lord, I do pray for us as a church. Help us to stand together. Help us to be aware of where we're unhelpful to each other and to work on those things. I pray that we would be able to be an encouragement to each other to do the one another you call us to do. I do pray for these five as, they, as, they, as they've shared today and made themselves vulnerable. I pray you would just cover them with grace today, that they would know your protection and that they would know strength, that you're with them. And I pray help us to stand and walk together as a church from every walk of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way. 